Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Thanks to you for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call Alex. He's producing 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Mr. Kelly, before you take off. Yes, sir. Uh, Tracy wanted me to share something with you Uh related to hummingbirds. Yeah. Now, did you know that female hummingbirds, because the males are so aggressive, Mm Mm-hmm. Normally, they're fairly light colored. They're not as shiny, bright. Right, right. But what they're, they have the ability some way to make themselves look darker. I don't know how they change their, you know, their mm-hmm. feather color so the males aren't so aggressive at them because they're darker and look really? more like a male. She saw that huh. on the internet, so she wanted me to share that with you. That's very interesting. <laughs> I was not aware of that. Really? I did read where they, uh, they mate. Very quickly, four seconds. Whoa. And then the male flies off, never to be seen again. He's out after his next conquest, and the female goes back to the nest and raises the little ones. Wow. Yeah, they just, like, hit and split. I, I can't yeah, imagine like, how they can change, you know. I, you know, when you look at them you know, on the feeder and stuff, when they change angles, they will kind of change colors. Oh, you really? know, like like the male will look somewhat muted and then turn and then, wow, it's bright green. And then you see that that neck that's just that beautiful ruby red. Right. And so I, it might just be as something as simple as kind of how they, they face them or something. Oh. I wonder, that's interesting, There's, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank her for that information. Certainly. I'm going to have to do a little more research on that. <laughs> I thought, well, maybe there's some kind of hummingbird beauty shop or something where they went in and had their feathers dyed. There could be. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they can go from kind of dull to just, you know, spectacular just right. on the angle. So maybe that's how I'll have to look that up. Oh, great. Well, thank well, her. Yep. You bet. Yes, folks, it is Saturday morning, so let's have a discussion about what's going on in your yard. And what about uh, those houseplants? You better start watching them fairly closely because it is almost September. And soon, probably by mid to late September, you should probably be bringing them in. So watch out for what might be problematic insect-wise on the soil, potting mixes, and everything else as well. Should you be doing things in your yard? Should you be pruning? Should you be shearing? Should you be pruning your soil? Should you be watching out for insects and diseases on your plants outside? Well, the information I'll share with you hopefully will make your thoughts 
solidify your options, and then but the final judgment is going to be on your shoulders. And this, by the way, is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player, again, is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone, pushes all the buttons and everything else. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. That was in the last century. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you'd like for me to take a walk and talk around your yard with you. Today, after the show, I'm headed to Chesterfield. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage, my email address and phone number's there. That's where I can be reached, and then we can schedule one. So anyway, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. With thoughts of those military recently killed in Afghanistan, I decided to take my good gardening stroll around the Soldiers Memorial, which is really right across the street from where we are broadcasting. And it's now part of the Missouri Historical Society. On the north side and on the south side, too, there's a flagpole. And there's a plaque there that states the memorial was dedicated on May 30th, 1938. And with museum rooms open to the public, that's all part of the plaque as well. There's massive statues with numerous plantings all over the place. And uh, everything from catmint to clethra to boxwood to viburnums, plus many, many others. And the, the plaza going up to the stairway on the back is uh, concrete with granite, you know, highlighting, and then the steps are granite as well. A sign tells you the Soldiers Memorial is open Wednesday through Sunday, 10 to 5. And uh, it's the stairway to the entrance is really kind of a neat stairway. Then there's wrought iron as you get to the top. And this is, then you go around to the south side, you're going to see everything from columnar maples to liriope to lawn. But across the street, which is Chestnut, the Blue Star Memorial, it's a tribute to the armed forces that have defended the USA. And it's sponsored by the East Central District Federated Garden Clubs of Missouri, along with the City of St. Louis and the Soldiers Memorial. It was dedicated in 2011. There's a really kind of a cool fountain in this area, too. And it's between Chestnut and Market. And the fountain, each fountain, there's like several different fountains within this one big area. And each one is, has like the Coast Guard, Air Force, Marines, Navy, Army. So each one has, each military branch has its own fountain. So that's kind of cool. And along there, you're going to see liriope in bloom. You're going to see peonies with the blooms from a long time ago that are spent but still hanging on. And uh, there's all kinds of other things as well. And also there's a stone memorial there, which with the names of those who have made the supreme sacrifice for our country. And the listing is, it's incredible. But anyway, there's crabapple trees, too, with green fruits on them. And along market, you're going to see flags for each one of the armed forces, too. Numerous plantings, everything from oak leaf hydrangea to ornamental grasses, with the main focus, as I said before, being that fountain. And there's so much more along here, it's unbelievable. And the fountain, the essence of the struggle is that man shall be made free. So that's really, that's carved into the fountain as well. There's so much more to see, so why don't you come by and take a look at 
the Soldiers Memorial here downtown, uh, Market Chestnut, 13th Street, and that it's really just a whole outside, and then the inside is equally neat as well. So Mike Miller, KMWAS Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open, but uh, you don't have to call, but please call. I don't know what to do. Anyway, I had a, a lady who sent me an email this past week, and she was very confused about this whole pre-emergent thing that I talk about, you know, with the two different types of plant materials that the pre-emergent's going after, and uh, the annual cool season weeds, those are the ones that are going to be germinating real soon. So you'd be putting the pre-emergent down now, basically. And what those plant weeds are, like chickweed, annual bluegrass, henbit, dead nettle, prickly lettuce, Persian speedwell. And what she was doing, she said she spent an hour in a store. Now, I don't know what store it was. She didn't really say and she could not figure out what to do. But she was thinking that because I make the distinction between the annual cool season weeds, which the August, that's when you put the pre-emergent down, and then the annual warm season weeds, which you put down when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. So she was looking for a specific pre-emergent for cool season weeds. And I guess, you know, she, my my thinking is she must have gone to a big box store because if you go to a regular garden center and, or there's some specialty type hardware stores like Ace Hardware that, you know, have areas that are specifically dedicated to plant material, then there's not going to be a problem because they're going to have staff people that can help you. But a pre-emergent will kill any kind of seed that's germinating any time of year that you put it down. So as far as... There's not a distinction between the cool and warm season. And she was very confused by the whole thing. So hopefully I sent her back an email and explained to her what we're looking at, how this whole thing works and everything else. So the cool season weeds, again, pre-emergent goes down right now because the seeds are really starting to germinate. Henbit, then there's mallow, there's a shepherd's purse, there's rabbit's foot clover, Persian speedwell, prickly lettuce, annual bluegrass, chickweed, and the henbits. And those are the main ones that are the annual cool season weeds. So they grow while the weather's nice and cool. They germinate now if you're not killing them with a pre-emergent. And then they go all the way through winter. And then when we come out of wintertime, they start, you know, they start dropping seed. And then when the weather gets hot, then the plants that drop the seed die off because it starts getting warm. It doesn't have to get hot. It just gets warmer. And so those seeds just lay there, and they lay there, and they lay there until when it comes in August, and then the seeds, the ground temperature is right, and then the seeds germinate, and that's when that's how this whole thing works. So I felt sorry for her, but... Uh, there's not a distinction between cool season and warm season annual weeds as far as a pre-emergent goes. Pre-emergent is pre-emergent. So let's now head out to Arnold and go into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Morning, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Good. Hey, I got a question for you about the uh, 
of the of zoysia. You know, my dad's got a really nice zoysia lawn, and he's got, you know, like over an acre of zoysia. Mm. And I wanted to take some plugs out of there and uh, put it in my yard. Is it okay to do it now, or should I wait? Yeah, you're probably getting, you know, very close to the end where we just don't know what the weather's going to be like. You could do it and, you know, kind of keep your fingers crossed that it doesn't get too cool that would prevent the, the plugs from be, actually being able to get their root system established before the real cold weather came. Mm-hmm. So you, you could give it a shot and give it a try, but uh, the ideal time to do it uh, would be sometime in, let's say, May, June, July, something then as opposed to now. But you okay, could, so you're probably okay. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you, in May, then it, it might not be uh, green yet, although his green's up pretty quickly. Yeah, it should you know, be green by then. Usually they should be. Yeah, so it's, they do it when it's green. As long as it's green, that's the good time to do it then. Right, and then what, probably, yeah. you know, what you could do, too, is call some of the local nurseries and see if they're still selling zoysia. If mm-hmm. they're still selling it, then they feel that it's still, you know, they feel mm-hmm. confident enough that it can get the, the sod or plugs can get rooted before the cold weather comes. Because that's mm-hmm. where the disaster comes in is you spend all this effort and time and we get, uh, you know, they don't get the root system established and then we get, let's say, an early cold snap and it could really do some damage to them. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And also, I would just like to comment. I heard you uh, your interview the other day with uh, on the Reardon show, uh-huh. and it was it was a lot of fun. When you were talking about beheading the the nuts edge grass, I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know, well, but it was nice. a lot of fun to hear you. Well, great. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you have a good one then. Yep. Thanks, Bob. Thank you very much. Yeah. And now let's head over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hey. Um, I have some peony plants in two different areas of my yard. One is more of a sunny location, and but in the shady location, I'm noticing two out of the three plants have a white, uh, powdery kind of a mild, I guess maybe mildew on them. Right, they sure do. And I wondered if I if it's too early to just cut those down, or if I should treat the foliage with something. Never, you know, don't bother ever treating the foliage for any kind of powdery mildew on anything, whether it's peonies, lilacs, or zinnias, or anything else. It's just not worth the trouble. It's not worth the effort. It's more of an aesthetic problem. Uh, it might be a little bit premature to cut the foliage down. But the, what you're going to do is go ahead and cut it down. I mean, I'm not saying don't do it, but don't just cut it and then let the foliage just fall and lay there because then you're inoculating the soil again for the powdery mildew to, let's say, cause aesthetic problems the following year. Okay. So when you cut the leaf, cut it off at about, leave a two-inch part of the stem or so, and then get rid of the leaves. Okay. And if I choose not to cut it down yet, there's not a problem with that just being on there. No, there really isn't because, okay. I mean, they're healthy enough and uh, they've already built up their root system and everything else for the following year. So, uh, you know, right. meaning next year. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. Have a wonderful weekend. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, speaking of that, uh, the Soldiers Memorial has a bunch of peonies around the building. And there are several of the peonies that have the powdery mildew on them, so... It's just uh, one of those things that happen with certain types of plants. Let's head out to John's yard in, no, John in St. Peter's. Hi, John. Yes. Uh, I have two questions. Uh, one is, uh, what's the best time to plant rose bushes? 
Roses probably going to be springtime more so than fall, even though okay. the fall is the best time in general. But uh, availability and that kind of thing is going to be the problem as much as anything else. If you can find them and they look healthy and they've been taken care of at the nursery where you, you're going to get them from, then go ahead and get them planted. But the, uh, like I said, the availability, that's where the trouble comes in. Okay. Uh, and the next question I have is uh, I've replanted or I transplanted uh, my iris uh, probably the beginning of uh, last year. And uh, this year I got maybe a quarter of them got flowers on them. The rest of them are just, they're real green, but no no uh, foliage. I mean, uh, no flowers. Right. Uh, basically, some of them may take a year or two to acclimate to the new location after being divided and everything else. So if you don't have it by the third year, if you don't have any flowers on them, uh, then that fan you might as well just get rid of because it probably won't flower ever again. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, well, that's all I have. Thank right. you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, the iris are, uh, you know, they're a little bit iffy as far as, or quirky as far as certain things go. Uh, usually the old traditional type flags, uh, probably 10 to 12 to 15 years at the most. After that, they kind of stop flowering. Let's go now to... Rob's yard in Edwardsville. Hi, Rob. Hey, Mike. Hi. How are you this morning? Very good. Well, I've got a problem with my globe willow tree. Uh, I've looked around a little bit on the internet, and I think it has like a lime or an alcohol flux bubbling out of it. Uh, it's got butterflies and bees all over it. <laughs> so, it's, in other words, it's leaking sap. I guess. It's awful foamy looking, but uh, I can't find anything uh, or anybody to tell me if there's anything I can do for the tree. It's it's definitely stressing out and losing leaves and all kinds of things. But this is a true willow? or is That's what we're talking about? Yeah, globe willow. Yeah, see, I'm not exactly familiar with that particular one. But the willows are dropping leaves now just in general. So I wouldn't be overly concerned with it uh, if the... You know, next year, if it leaves out and looks fine and healthy, then there's nothing you can do. And really, to be honest with you, how old is a tree, first of all? It's probably about six, maybe eight years old. Oh, so it's still, it should be in its prime before. Usually the oh, willow yeah. group in general goes about 15 to 20 years, and then they start going downhill. But uh, I would say, you know, there's really not too much you can do. You know, if go out there and if you clean all this stuff off, then what's going to happen is it's going to it's going to come out from the interior, from the let's say the xylem and phloem, the veins underneath the bark, again. So it's just a, a product of maybe sunscald who who caused the split. You know, I'm, we're not really sure, and uh, there's not really too much you can do. Yeah, I tried. I tried washing it off, but then then I thought, well, maybe if I just let it coagulate a little bit, that would be better. So I just haven't been touching it at all. So yeah. I guess that's you'll just have to let it run its course. Huh? Exactly right. There's not too much. I mean, to to spray a fungicide on it, the, what's the problem is is you know there's splits in the bark, yes, but also it's related to the like I said, the veins in the tree as well. So you can't really get something that's going to go inside as far as a fungicide go and be systemic and go just after those particular veins where the trouble is. Right. 
All right. Well, I'll just hope for the best and hope hope the beautiful tree makes it through the year. Right. Sometimes, you know, it's sort of Mother Nature makes the call. I guess so. All right. Thanks, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Moscow Mills and into Pat's yard. Hi, Pat. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a hydrangea that I uh, grew from a cutting from another one of my bushes two years ago. Should, now, this thing is about eight inches tall now. Should I plant it in the ground this fall, or should I overwinter it in the house and plant it in the spring? Well, you don't need to bring it into the house. Have you done that in the previous year? Yes. Oh, really? Well, I guess you could do it again. What you could do is, I'm assuming it's in a pot. Yes, correct. One of those black pots. Right, black plastic nursery pot. What you can do is decide where you want to plant it outside and just dig a hole and then drop the pot down into the hole leaving about uh, an inch or so of the top of the pot above the surrounding ground and just let it get sort of acclimated to the wintertime. Okay, and then just I don't ever have to take it out of the pot No, then? no, you do. This is just to get it through this, you know, this year, or you can leave it in it for, you know, for another year or so. Are there any kind of root systems coming out through the drainage holes in the bottom of the pot? No, there are not. Okay, so it's still probably not really totally well-rooted. So I would probably drop it in the hole and maybe leave it for another couple, maybe two years, and then pull the pot up and see if there's any kind of a root system coming out. And even if there's not, that should be an adequate amount of time. If it's leafing out, if it looks good from an aesthetic standpoint, then you could probably just plant it in that spot. Okay. And can I ask a quick question about pumpkins? I have pumpkin plants. The plants look gorgeous. I get pumpkins on them. They get about the size of a plum, and then they die. What's going on there? <laughs> it's probably a nutrient-type thing. So, in other words, maybe their soil is not it doesn't have the correct nutrient levels in it, or are you fertilizing? If you're not fertilizing, that might be part of the problem, too. Oh, okay. Well, thank you very much for your uh, help. Sure, my pleasure. Bye-bye. And any, we have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We'll be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and let's head out to Sunset Hills and go into John's yard. Hi, John. Hello, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Hey, I have a redbud tree next to my house that needs to be uh, trimmed back quite a bit. It's covering the lighting and all that. Um, and I have to trim back quite a bit. Uh, when would be a good time to do that, and uh, how much can I take off at a time? Uh, basically, I would never take off more than like 10 or 15, maybe 20% at the most. And if you want, if you like the flowers, then what I would do is I'd do the pruning after they finish flowering in the springtime. Okay, great. Um, second question is uh, I need to get uh, a certain portion of my yard uh, 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 soil tested. It just uh, doesn't do very well in one area. And uh, where would be a good place to take that? Well, basically, I don't know what part of town. Oh, you live in Sunset Hills. Well, you can take it to an office, University of Missouri Extension office in St. Louis County, and it's on East Monroe in Kirkwood. Great. So Yeah, I, okay. And uh, 
and I can do that just about any time of the year. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it says Monday through Friday, uh, 8.30 to 4.30, and I'm assuming it's year-round. Now, okay. as far as what they do is they take your soil sample. They can't test it there. They send it down to Columbia where they have all the laboratories and things like that. And then the people in Columbia will do the testing, and then they'll send the results back to you. Great. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, uh, one last thing is uh, I need to uh, pull up some uh, uh, zoysia sod that uh, was laid uh, last year. Uh, it's sinking in my yard uh, from uh, a sewer going through. And um, I would like to know when when is the last date that I can pull this zoysia up before, you know, uh, winter hits so it can uh, start rooting again. Yeah, it's going to be a tough one to try to do it this late because you're going to tear up the root system, then you're going to get it you know, laid back even if you do it really quickly. It's like the gentleman earlier that called about the zoysia plugs. Could he take some out of his father's yard? Is You're just taking a chance by doing it as we get later and later in the season because we don't have any idea, or at least I don't, on what the weather's going to be like and you could be spending, you know, a lot of effort, mental and real money and everything else. And then the end result could be, oh, not so good. I mean, it may turn out to be just perfect and everything would be great. So it's just kind of a roll of the dice once we start doing stuff. We're not quite to September, but we really are when it comes to fooling around with Zoiza. Yeah, okay. So you mean uh, it may not be hot enough for it to start taking root and exactly. survive the winter, right? Yeah, the ground is warm enough, but, you know, can it get enough root system pushed down into the ground? So it, it'll trigger the roots, but how deep do they go? And then how, you know, how severe is that first, you know, let's say first couple cold snaps going to be? Oh, I see. Okay. Wow. Oh, okay, Mike. Um, thank, thank you so much. And, uh, you have a good day, and uh, hope everybody else learns from you like I do. Thanks. <laughs> sure. Well, thank you. Thanks, John. And now let's go to Rick. Rick, what's going on in your yard? Hi, Mike. Uh, checking in with you. Given how hot it is today, but it's the end of August, is it okay to start planting tall fescue, cool season grass, or should I still wait a little longer? Uh, you could probably, it's going to lay there anyway. So if you've got everything ready and you're ready to go with it, you should be fine. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Yep. So okay. just make sure, I don't know if you're going to do the core aeration, if you're going to spread some compost, if you're going to do your preparation, but the minimum you should do is the area that you're going to put the seed down in is rake it. So the grass seed can actually come in contact with the ground and not just lay on grass blades, you know, because that's not going to be any yeah, good. Yeah. Well, what I'm going to do, I'll do your raking, and then I'm going to core rake, then I'm going to put seed, then I'm going to put that mushroom compost over it. Perfect. Wow, you're going to thanks. do it just right. Yep. Okay, thanks, Mike. Sure. And now let's go to Ledoux and go into Sue's yard. Sue in Ledoux. Good morning, Sue and the Dill. Okay, question. Is it too late to fertilize roses? Um, we've done it once this summer, maybe. I think just once, maybe twice. Uh, basically, once we got past mid-August, fertilizing roses, you take a little bit of a chance because of fertilizer by the time it goes down into the ground and the root system absorbs it and pushes it up into the rose, and again, it may be causing growth that shouldn't be happening late in the season. So I would say you probably should not do it. Thank you. Also, um, I've been told that 
I, I probably before you asked me what kind of roses, I haven't the foggiest notion. But it, when do you start cutting them back? Uh, doesn't You really don't have to cut them back, but let's say you start doing it when the foliage starts, let's say, really kind of dropping. So let's say mid-October or so, you can start cutting them back at that time and get it done before, you know, within a month or so. And then next year, start fertilizing and use a rose food specifically. Start fertilizing with the first one in late May, then in late June, late July, and that's the three that you need to do. Thank you so much. Sure. Okay? Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. I mean, you can move it back earlier a little bit, but uh, don't fertilize anything, and this is for anybody, when it's you know not actively growing, at least something that's aesthetic like the roses. Let's go now to Lyle's yard. Hi, Lyle. Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, I have a question. Um, we have some old uh, cedar bushes or shrubs. Um, last year, there was a few clusters. Uh, this year, there's a lot of clusters on the front of the cedar bushes. Uh, they were green now. It, they're turning gold. They're in pods. There's probably 10 or 20 per cluster, about an 8 or 16th inch in diameter by probably an 8th inch long, and they've got like a bug-like end on them. Uh, is that something to be concerned about? I mean, the, the bushes themselves look great. Well, I, you know, from your description, I don't know exactly what it is, but it sounds like it could be bagworms, and bagworms can be very problematic for your juniper. So I would go out there and, you know, pull all the bagworms off. So in other words, these little things that are dang are they dangling? Is that what this is? Uh, no, they're they're in pods, uh, the uh, uh, in clusters, uh, and like I said, there's probably anything from ten to thirty of these little bud-like pods on there. Um, they're they're upright. Yeah, they're they're not. Uh, not pointing downward. Okay. So probably what I do is cuz I'm not exactly sure what you have. I take a, you know, take a handful or so to your favorite garden center and let them take a look at it and find out exactly what it is. Okay. Uh, that's what I'll do then. So because I mean it sounds like, you know, if the the, ju- the juniper looks healthy and everything else, so it it doesn't have a bunch of brownish spots or anything else. No. Okay. No, they're, in fact, probably the last two years, they've looked better than they have in, in uh, several years. All right. Well, anyway, get to their favorite garden center and let them find out exactly, or then you can find out exactly what you have and see what you need to do if you need to do anything. Okay. Well, thanks for the information, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. Sorry I couldn't guess what uh, you had if it wasn't bagworms. And now let's go to Salem and into Lisa's yard. Hi, Lisa. Hi, this is Leisha. Um, I have a tulip tree that's probably like six years old, and I don't know how to trim it. It looks more like it's, you know, it's got all the foliage from the very bottom all the way up, and it looks more bushy than a tree, but it's a tree. So what do I do? <laughs> yeah, I would just leave it alone. Now, how you said it's only six years old? 
it's yeah, still, yeah, it's, it's still young. Yeah, I mean, uh, if I leave it, what you would do is just leave it alone for another year or so, or a couple years, because the amount of leaves on there, the leaves make the food, and the food that the leaves make then it shares with the root system, with the branches, with stems, and everything else. And then consequently, that's going to be to the benefit of the plant. You start pruning it, it's not necessarily needed to be pruned just because you don't think it looks like a tree right now. But ultimately what you're probably going to do is take off some of the lower branches. It's called limbing up. But uh, right Mm -hmm. now I just leave everything as is. Okay. And then I have privets that are probably um, upwards of six foot tall. When do we trim those? Ideally, you prune them. You, you don't really like to prune going into wintertime because if we have a severe winter, you may get more, you know, what you've cut off, then there may be some winter kill on the stuff that's remaining. So ideally, right. you would be doing the pruning in the early spring before the new growth begins. And don't, okay. and don't take any more than 20% off the, let's say, the height. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Yes, folks, I'll take a couple phone calls in a second or two. But last week, a gentleman called, and he had some trees that were narrow-growing that uh, I guess, I think they were Bradford pears, but they had to be taken down because they might have had fire blight or something like that. And I recommended a tree, and I think I may have made a mistake on telling him what kind of tree that he needed to put in. He needs to put a narrow tree in, but, I mean, this is a tree. Its, it's common name is hornbeam. I think I might have said hackberry, but I'm not sure. But anyway, it's hornbeam carpinus betulus, and it grows narrow. It's one that uh, the city of St. Louis uses as street trees in a couple locations, because it doesn't grow out over the street and the sidewalk and things like that. So, again, a tree that grows pretty narrow and probably will get to 25 feet high and probably the width at the widest point is going to be uh, maybe 8 eight feet, maybe 10 feet at the most. So, again, a hornbeam is a narrow-growing upright tree for screening and things like that. It is deciduous, and, again, hornbeam and Carpinus, C-A-R-P-I-N-U-S, betulus, meaning it has kind of a, a tr- uh, leaf like a birch tree. And, okay, let's go back to the phones and go over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Uh, I was actually listening to the show whenever that was, and I'm pretty sure you did say hornbeam. So, okay. uh, yeah. But, but anyway, I, I, I'm going to describe what I think is a weed to you, and I don't know if you'll know what it is or not, but I was at my son's house. He just bought a new house over in St. Louis, and um, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, has large uh, leaves on it that are dark green, and I, I, I was pretty sure it was a weed. When I went to go pull it, the stem had these really – uh, hard stickers on it or, you know, thorns on it. Um, any idea what that is um, by chance? It could be a thistle. Well, that's kind of what I thought. But uh, what 
and I actually tried to pull it out, but it wouldn't, you know, the stem just would kind of break off and the root system would stay. I guess is it best to just round that up? Yeah, either that or broadleaf weed killer. If it's in his lawn, you can use like a broadleaf weed killer and it won't do any kind of damage to his lawn. Just make sure that he or you reads the label and temperature-wise, you know, herbicides, even though in theory they're not supposed to do damage to certain things, if they're sprayed and it's really hot, it could do some damage. But my guess is okay. because thistle has a very deep tap root, so you're just snapping it off as what's happening. Yeah, yeah, and, and I would imagine it would just grow back then, correct? Absolutely. They're perennials, yep. and, I mean, they're ferocious. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's all I had. I appreciate the information. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to another Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi. Hi. I have a fungus on my tomato plants, and uh, I've been treating them with uh, copper spray, and I've had this for several years, and I was wanting some ideas on what else I could do. Basically, don't plant your tomatoes in the same location. That's the best thing you can do. So well, I did... I did change them this past year to a, a different location in my garden. My garden is very small, so um, it was a new section that I expanded. So it was new soil brought in there, but well, uh, I still I'm, got it. And yeah. I spray it, and they, they're doing well. They're like eight feet tall, but um, but I'm fighting it all the time. Right. So in other words, some way that's, you know, the, the problem is getting moved around either on the bottom of your shoes or on a shovel or something like that. So you're migrating it, the trouble, you know, by yeah. do, in that kind of situation. Right. Any other ideas to help yeah. eradicate it? Yeah. Basically, I mean, fungicides and things like that on tomatoes, it's, I mean, they're, it's a tough one. So, uh, yeah, exactly what you should do because um, you want to use something that's going to be safe. That's you know, right. and that's right. uh, so either just kind of try a different variety. So in other words, get a I don't know what variety you grew, but make sure it says VFN on it, and that means VFN. Right. Okay. So that's after the name. My better boy is what I use. You no, know, so, so that should have a VFN. But I would change you know change variety anyway and see if okay. that will help. But make well, sure I did that... plant another variety. Uh, I, I actually planted Romas for the first time. Oh. And they, they got it, too. Oh, really? Yeah. <clears throat> some I... Romas I had, and, and then some Better Boy. Yeah, maybe what I would do is don't plant any tomatoes for a year and see if that will help clear it up. And then what try, the heck? You know, try it another year. <laughs> <try it another. laughs> Throw your tomatoes in pots you know, for oh, that year when you don't put them I'm in the dead. ground. That's brutal. <laughs> well, how am I going to make all my salsa that everybody wants? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Apparently, you got to have a lot of them, but I was going to say that's yeah. why I say grow them in pots because if you get at least 18 to 24 inch pots, you can grow tomatoes in those pretty easily. Yeah. All right. I'll keep battling away. Yeah, it's a tough one, so. but uh, your soil, either that or create a new garden space entirely. Yeah. And don't you know, don't use the same shovel or anything else unless you clean it off before you move to the new location. Yeah. Well, I till it up every year too, so your you know. tiller can you know the blaze right. of the tiller can be moving that stuff around too. Right. All right. Well, I just thought I'd call because uh, I'm battling it, but I'm still getting a lot of tomatoes. But um, it's just a battle. Yep. Because every time it rains, it washes it off, 
and then I have to respray. And yeah, well, good luck, Jim. Mike Miller, <laughs> KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can give us a call. Phone lines are open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Brian, yes, we were talking uh, blah, 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 I don't know when it was, when earlier, but uh, not on air, of course. Oh. But anyway, you were saying you were watering your plants, and you were watering them every day. And not I said, quite every day, but yeah, pretty close. Yeah, yeah. So I said that's not the ideal thing to do. No. Water better, th- more thorough, less often. It's quantity, I mean quality, not quantity. <laughs> See, what, what I would always worry about is when I would, you know, touch the dirt at the top, it was like cement. Right. It's like really solid. And then I wasn't sure, well, is it, you know, you go down so far, but even deeper, is it still moist? Or does that even matter? Well, it does, well, it does to a certain point, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you, with you know, with pots, and that's what we're talking about, right. folks, with pots. is just look for a gap between the potting mix and the inside of the pot. If you start oh. to see a gap, that's when it's dry okay. all the way down. So the, it kind of, uh, what do you... It shrinks. Shrinks. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah. Okay. So it packs a, a little bit because it's so dry. Right, exactly. Very so good. So in other words, the water takes up space, and mm-hmm. once the water is absorbed by the plant material or dehydrates or whatever, then it shrinks. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Saves me a phone call. 436-7900. Exactly. Thanks, Brian. You bet. Thank you. Yes, folks, and thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs and all arounds, related to annuals. Speaking of annuals, I've been looking I've gone to a couple garden centers and some of them, you know, are seasonal. They're not even open at all. And uh, I can't find any pansies. Lots of mums, but uh I'm not really into mums. Mums are... No, I shouldn't say they're boring, but uh, no, they're nice. They're great, but I like them in other people's yard. I don't want them in my yard. But anyway, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, houseplants, lawns, roses, perennials, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take to have success, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone, which he's doing right now, and he also pushes all the buttons to make it so you can hear me when I have something to say. During the weekend, weekends both, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage, my email, and phone number are listed there. And today, after the show, I'm headed out towards Chesterfield, where I'll share some fun with the people around their yard. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for an individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I'll tell you, the radio stations here lost somebody. Yesterday was his last day. Ryan Schulte. Ryan Schulte started here a long, I don't know how long he worked here, but I don't think he's been here quite as long as I have, but he was a producer he re, he did a huge amount of the remotes. When I used to do a lot of remotes, he was the engineer on site. 
And then he became the basically the head engineer here when Odyssey took over. So Ryan is just basically he has left us, and I want to give him a tip of the trowel for all the things that he did to make the Garden Hotline a success through all the years and then through all the engineering. We've had problems a couple times, and we would call him, and he'd help us out over the phone because this wouldn't work, that wouldn't work, all this, you know. So anyway, Ryan, we're going to miss you. And he's, you know, he was like the the t- basically the only engineer that we have here at these stations right now. So I don't know exactly what's going on, but uh, tip of the trial goes out to Ryan Schulte. I think he's starting his own business, consulting engineering-wise. And uh, I think his father is a contractor, too. So, I mean, he's kind of had that in his nature. But uh, anyway, Ryan, thanks for everything that you did for the Garden Hotline all those years. So greatly appreciate it. So tip of the trial goes out to you. Let's go now to Wentzville and into Kathy's yard. Kathy, how are you today? I'm fine. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a question. I'm going to have to move a hydrangea bush, and I'm wondering if it's a good time to move it. If you get it done pretty soon, yeah, you can still do it. Basically, I mean, it's I, well, I, you know, well, the thing of it is, I have to also move the some hi, uh, irises. Um, basically, the same with that. If you get it done, you know, before let's say mid September. And oh, okay. just okay. make sure you water everything the night before. Mm-hmm, yeah, water it really Fair well. It. Dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball of you know of the hydrangea. And with the iris, I'm assuming you're talking about the flags, which have the right, tuber right. Yes. right on the surface. So those yes. just go leave the top of the tuber, so it's visible. Right. So, and another thing, I have these volunteer um, uh, butterfly bushes that come oh. up. Yeah, I got a few of them, and I would like to just give them away, but when's the best time to get those out? I can wait till spring. Uh, Well, you could do it now. Probably the best thing to do is you're going to give them to them in a pot, I'm assuming. So you could dig them up and put them in a pot with a potting mix for starting plant material and Mm -hmm. just dig a hole in a, a garden space and just drop the pot down into the hole. Leave okay. the top rim, uh, the top of the rim above the surrounding ground. And would that be good for them to do that at their place? Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, just leave it in the pot. Yeah. And how long would you leave it in the pot? Uh, probably a, you know, a year or two. Probably. Oh, really? A, yeah. Okay. okay. I mean, I'm just talking about this is what, you know, let's say production nurseries do. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I, I've, given, I've given a few to my daughter, and they seem not to take, and I'm thinking I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, basically just dig them up and hand them to them as, you know, grow them in a, you know, get them in a pot and let them, them leave them Get in them going. Pot. Okay, right. yeah. Okay, and another question. When you we were, t- you were talking to this gentleman about watering the plants uh, your, in your pots and about watering them too much and so forth, but when I water this plant, it seems like uh, it goes right on through. Uh, you know the water just—I mean, it's it's dry because I have a uh, a thermometer to you know check it. Mm-hmm. But when I water it, the water just seems like it goes right through to the you know overflows into the bottom of it. And so, do you think it's uh, root bound or something that this plant needs to be replanted? Uh, it, that could be the case, but probably I would just run the water slower so okay. it, it's you know absorbs you know. More throughout the entire you know area where the potting mix is, and the, consequently the root system. 
But uh, that's probably what I would do as opposed to, you know, do you have a saucer under have a saucer underneath it? Right, but yeah, but I don't think I'm putting. I um, maybe I am putting too much water in it, and and it just overflows. Yeah, it, but it seems like it's on this immediately, and I'm thinking maybe it's root bound. Yeah, well, it could be, but uh, there's nothing wrong with root bound if the if the plant looks healthy. Yeah, the plant's healthy, but I hate to hate to mess with it. <laughs> yeah, so don't you know don't mess okay. with it. Just uh, okay. with my pots, I have large pots, uh-huh. and I water. I fill them all the way up until the, basically the top rim of the pot is, you know, the water's not overflowing there, and then it just sinks down and then goes and fills in the saucer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just wondering. It's a, it's a good plant. Okay. Well, thank you for your information. Sure. My pleasure. Have a good day. Uh-huh. Yeah, Bye-bye. Thanks for hanging in there, Kathy. She yeah, stayed sure. on a long Bye. time. <laughs> Because we had to go to the news and everything else. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And let's head over to Scott's yard. And hi, Scott, how are you? Hey, good morning, Mike. Enjoy your show. Um, is the grass that grows at about a clip of 10 times the rate of other grass, is that uh, nettle grass? It's probably it's like a, uh, nutgrass would be my nut guess. Nutgrass. Yeah. Yeah, nutgrass. So um, what what's the deal with it? And two, what's the best way to get rid of it or and or control it? Yeah, there's herbicides specifically called sedge ender or nutgrass killer, or you got to use that specifically on it. That's the best thing you can possibly do. Is, the, is it too, is it, um, as far as, putting the placement of it down is it uh, temperature dependent is it too hot to do now or is it okay well you could probably do it but i mean just look at the daily temperature read the label because it will tell you do not make an application blah 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 okay very good thank you for your help enjoy the show yeah my pleasure yeah the nutgrass and nut sedge is just crazy and the ideal time to do it later in the season when it's mature like this you can you know, give it a try, but look and watch out in the springtime when it first starts germinating. That's the time when the, the herbicides are going to be, I mean, they're still going to be effective, but they're going to be effective a lot quicker when it's younger plants. Let's head out to Fenton and go into Vince's yard. Hi, Vince. Yeah, Mike. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, Mike, um, you, you started out your show talking about that uh, – lady who was looking for the pre-emergent for fall. Right. And when I get pre-emergent, it normally just says crabgrass preventer. It doesn't say pre-emergent, and it says apply in the spring, so I can kind of understand why she was confused about that. Sure, but it's going to work regardless. Well, the crabgrass preventer I get, though, always says it's with lawn food, and that's about 26% nitrogen. Is that something you would... uh, encourage in the fall no <laughs> even on a so. you know not even on a cool season grass like the fescues and bluegrass is 26 percent. that's pretty high yeah that's what i thought so i'm going to need to get new pre-emergent that doesn't have that then. right exactly because crabgrass yeah, i mean that's a warm season grass and so it germinates in the springtime right. so if you put it down now the grab the crabgrass seed has already germinated now, it's dropping seed, but it won't kill seed that's just laying there. It only kills seed once the seed starts germinating and growing, and it's not going to do it again, or it's not going to do it until next year. Oh, right. Okay, I'll have to get new pre-emergent. That, 
By the way, I uh, also heard your triumphant uh, Mark Reardon uh, guest spot. Uh, you were, <laughs> you turned that show into a new garden hotline. I really got a kick out of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> I hope you do that again. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was all his ideas, so it kind of caught me by surprise. <laughs> okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to Florissant and into Jeff's yard. Hi, Jeff. Well, hi, Mike. How are you, sir? And sure. I just want to say that you go. My question was about the nutsedge, and you already answered it uh, two minutes ago. So I would just like to take a minute and just say, hey, thanks so much. Do you ever think it's mind-boggling to think how many plants, lives you've saved and and in this area? And I just appreciate the heck out of you and your show. And I'm going to get off the air and let someone that's got a real problem talk to you. Thanks. Well, sure. I mean, and that's my pleasure. Yeah, the nutgrass, I mean, nutgrass likes wet soils. Yes, there's no getting around it. But nutgrass does not have to have wet soils to survive. It has quite the extensive root system, and that's how it can handle a drought circumstance. So people think it's because it's really wet. Yes, it loves wetness. The only thing that really limits nutgrass is shade. That seems to be the factor way beyond anything else environmental that, you know, kind of prevents the nutgrass from being able to get itself established. And the problem is, too, it produces seeds in two different directions. It has a flower that comes up to the top, you know, above ground and everything else. But also on the end of the, let's say, part of the root system, there's some things called little nutlets. And when you try to just pull it up out of the ground, if these are bigger, mature, you know, plants, so in other words, sometime that, let's say, that have been growing all season long and you're trying to pull them up, let's say, in July, then it's too late from the standpoint when you pull it, yes, you're going to get the plant up out of the ground, but also it's going to release some nutlets, which are going to germinate next year, under in the ground. So that's the problem with pulling it late in the season. Early in the season, you can pull it because it doesn't have the nutlets formed. So anyway, enough of that grass stuff. And yeah, let's go to Carla's yard. Hi, Carla. Hi. Hi. Um, I, just, I have another question about tomatoes, and I apologize if somebody already asked this and I didn't hear it. Um, we have just two tomato plants outside in the garden, and the one is little cherry tomatoes, and they're terrific. And the other one's a bigger red round tomato. And in the beginning, they were very healthy, and they were okay, and they look almost perfect. And now they're starting to split at the top. Is You know, I mean, they get green, and they look like they're going to be okay, and then all of a sudden at the top, they just start to, like, split, like they're, they're, like they're blowing up like a balloon or something. Uh, and is there... It, I mean, it can't be that we had a bad, bad plant. You think that something's happened to it? I don't know what to do with it. Basically, are you fertilizing? Yes. You're using tomato food. My husband does that. I don't know if he's using tomato food. I guess I better ask him that. Yeah. So, in other words, tomato food will have the nutrients in it, like calcium and a few of the micronutrients that prevent those kind of things from happening. So okay. if he's just using regular fertilizer or malorganite or anything else, it doesn't have those micronutrients that prevent those things from happening that you're discussing. Oh. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I'll have to talk to him about that. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And right. now let's go to Glenn's yard. Hi, Glenn. Mike, I have a question regarding my fig tree. I have two trees that are 
that have more foliage than ever did, but I, I don't have many figs. Any idea what's happening? Now, is this a hardy fig that grows outside, correct? Yes, it, it grows outside. I think it's called Chicago Brown. Okay. Now, how old are they? Uh, one, uh, one might be about five years old, and the other one maybe three or four. It might be, you know, I think with the fig tree, sometimes you have to wait up to seven years before you start getting fig production. But if the tree looks healthy and everything else, then you should, you're doing everything as, as good as you possibly can. Okay, well, then I'll be patient. Yeah, you, I mean, you have to be patient if you're a gardener. <laughs> exactly. Because, I mean, there's quite a few of them being grown in the, the Hill neighborhood. And, you know, if you go down and you, a lot of them, you can see that the, the tr- you know, trees are healthy, but they don't have any fruits on them yet. And so, consequently, it's, it's a mature thing more so than anything else. As long as a tree is healthy, that's as much as you can do. Okay, I'll, I'll hang in there. All right. Thanks for your help. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's see what's going on in Ed's yard. Hi, Ed. Uh, uh, yes. Can you hear me, Mr. Miller? Yes. Anyway, I, I, I'm right on the same subject with Fig, but it's about the Bartlett pear tree. Do, do you see? I live in St. Louis Hills. There is more Bartlett pear trees in St. Louis Hills than you can shake a stick at. And my question is because they keep falling down. They, they, they bend over, they fall down, and they, get, and they fall into the street. I, I'm just, I, I really, I, I was an accountant when I grew up, do you see? And I just don't, now, did, did they ever really um, grow pears on them? No, never? never. They have little bitty pears like the size of a pea. That's it. So, that's the only oh. size. So they're strictly ornamental. Really? Because I, I've heard, actually, I heard Mr. Kelly do a show with someone about uh, Bartlett pears are not indigenous to this area. Well, that means we, did, we brought them in from somewhere else, right. right? And I guess we just did it like we used to, used to get Christmas trees. Sure. And, is it pretty much like that, and, and I should put ornaments on my Bartlett pear? Yeah, you could. I mean, basically, where they're grown, and for the flowers in the springtime, and then the fall color too. So, I mean, they were overly overplanted. The reason why they keep splitting apart is because the narrowness of the branches. Water runs down a lot of times too, and you know, kind of collects and and just is held there causes. You know, some rot, but it's the narrowness of the branches. That's the weakest branch, you know, situation. So a lot of people that have them even have, because they really like them, they have a tree service come out and cable them together to prevent that, you know, the splitting from happening. Let me just interrupt. I have one. I live at the intersection in St. Louis Hills of Nottingham and Locke. I bought this building 30 years ago when I was 30 years younger. And I'll tell you, that tree is on between the, uh, the curb and the sidewalk. And it has big limbs have just pulled out of it, do you see? And big limbs pulled out of it. But it was binded, do you see? And now it is such a beautiful tree, do you see? But you have to pay attention 
to that tree. And that tree, not indigenous, it's an ornamental tree. We're here to make the sidewalk look good in St. Louis Hills, and that's why St. Louis Hills has high property values. Great. Well, thanks, Ed. Greatly appreciate it. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, if you do have zoysia grass and you have not been fertilizing it, shame on you. But anyway, you can get one last fertilization in if you get it done pretty darn quickly. You don't want to fertilize it too late because you don't want to force it, let's say, to be actively growing when the weather starts getting cold because it could have some damage. But uh, uh, the zoysia, and also when you keep mowing your zoysia, but you're going to have to mow less frequently because it's going to, it's, it's still pretty hot, but it's going to see keep growing as long as it's this hot. Once it starts cooling down, the growth is going to be a lot less. So let's see, where should we go? Uh, let's go over to Jennifer's yard. Hi, Jennifer. Uh, yes. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have two quick questions. One, I have a couple peace lilies. They're different sizes. One is huge. Um, but all of a sudden, they are getting brown edges on them. I mean, they keep growing, They, you know, flowering. And yet I'm getting these brown edges, and I'm not sure if that's a problem or not. Now, is that on the foliage we're talking about or on the flower? On the foliage. Okay, on the foliage, that's probably just an age factor as much as anything else. Do I just cut that off? Uh, I would say just don't let it bother you. Okay. All right. Second as, long as, as long as the majority of the leaf is still green. But if it's just the edge, yeah, you know, put on rose-colored glasses. Okay, gotcha. Um, I also have some one. I don't know the official name for them. My family's called them Wandering Jews. How do I get those fuller? Uh, well, they t- elongating and cascading off over the edge of the pot. Yes, sir. Yeah, so you really have to take some cuttings off of it. Take those cuttings and then, like, poke a screwdriver or something in, and then the stem cutting you should have about an inch or so, and then make a hole into the pot, you know, in the potting mix inside the pot, and then just stick it down in there. Okay. Thank you. I don't have to make it, let it root or anything? No, first. you don't have to. I mean, you can make it, you can put them in water and do all this other stuff, but it's that stuff is pretty darn tough. I get small pots of it early in the season, and that's all I do is as it starts elongating, I cut it off, then, you know, move it into, I move them into a bigger pot. But uh, anyway, I've probably got them just huge amounts of right now. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yep. My pleasure. And now let's go to... Gloria, and Gloria lives in Springfield. Hi, Gloria. Uh, Good morning, Mike. Uh, I'm calling on behalf of my sister. She has a weeping willow, and all of a sudden, stuff started coming out the trunk of the tree. The tree is doing well, but all this this gunk, and she's wondering if it's a disease or what could she do about it. I just not, I'd ignore it. Ignored? As long as the tree looks healthy. We had yeah, a gentleman call last hour. He had a willow that was oozing stuff, too. And the willows just, they're kind of, let's say, crazy trees or goofy trees. That just kind of routinely happens with them. Oh, I, I mean, see. So not to worry. No. As long as it's overly healthy and it's not too old, then she sh- it should be fine. No, it's not too old. Okay, great. Thanks very much, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. Bye-bye. And let's go now to Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. 
Hi, Mike. Um, I have a yard with uh, tall fescue grass that I've had problems with uh, fungus on over the years. And I was just reading an article about using uh, other material instead of like a, uh, grasses, like microclover and uh, mosses and things like that. What, what would be good for the St. Louis area of that kind? And do you have any suggestions for me? Well, uh, I mean, Dutch white clover is, is really tough and durable. But let me, as I say that, somebody from the University of uh, Washington University sent me something that talked about how this, this clover is a special type of hybrid. Now, this Dutch white clover is even, that this one's man-made, but the clover in general is considered a really noxious weed because it's invasive, it's this, it's that, and everything else. Yes, and it can be somewhat toxic to the ground and this but uh, Dutch white clover, you know, really works fine. Actually, yeah, this article, which is in today's Wall Street Journal, talks about Dutch white clover uh, and how it's not as invasive and it can mix with the uh, the, the other grasses and right, stuff. Right, exactly. So you yeah. you buy it as you know you buy it as seed, but you have to make sure the seed is inoculated because if it's not inoculated seed then the seed won't germinate. This is something that chemically causes the seed to, let's say, pop open after it's been, you know, spread and watered. Oh, okay. Okay. I would think anybody selling the seed, though, a nursery or whatever, selling the seed, it would be inoculated, Right, it, it should be, but you, if you get some stuff sure. offline and, or online and all that other stuff, you don't really yeah. know. Yeah, so go with some kind of a uh, well-respected kind of vendor or whatever. Um, it also talks about some kind of buffalo grass. Anything uh, that doesn't work know? so well here. Yeah, that's this is a national article, so that's why I was trying to kind of narrow down what works good for, you know, the St. Louis area. Right. I and mean, also there, talk. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, there are some, you know, some of it, but for the most part, it just it's really it doesn't like our fluctuations in our weather. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so this micro clover would be something more preferable that you would use. Right, exactly. Okay, what about wild uh, wildflowers? That sounds kind of, I don't know, tall and out of control. Is that... <laughs> well, they're not all <laughs> tall, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, a lot of people are, you'd have to just make sure that you understand what they are and kind of keep track of them because it kind of can set up a situation where you could have invasive weeds in there with them, and every, you, all of a sudden you don't know what's what and this is that and everything else. Right, right. Okay, that's been helpful. I appreciate your help. Great, my pleasure. And, okay, thank you. Yep, let's go to Mary's, and Mary lives in Germantown. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Mike. I have another question about a peace lily houseplant. Mm -hmm. Mine is about seven or eight years old, and it was doing great. About maybe two or two and a half weeks ago, it just like all the leaves are droopy and it looks really bad. Um, I don't think I had overwatered it because I would always wait until the the soil pulled away. And normally when I do water it, I bring it outside and I just let it um, all of the water drain out. But as I say right now, it looks really bad. You have any suggestions? Well, if it's weeping, you know, and you don't, you know. Being pot bound, that's not really a problem. I'd go out and I'd soak it really well, and make even though sure. it looks real droopy now. Yeah, I would soak it because okay. if you haven't watered it recently, then I think it's just a dry soil circumstance. 
should it perk up after that? Or? Yeah, it should within one day. Okay, see, I had done that about two weeks ago, and it did not perk up. It is still very droopy. It looks maybe worse than it was. Well, well pull it out of the pot and take a look at the root system. Maybe the root system has rotted. And then consequently, even if you water it, there's nothing to absorb the moisture, so it doesn't going to make it. It's not going to make any difference. Is it sell? Can I save it, or is it just a lost cause? Well, I'd pull it out of the pot, look at the root systems, shake all the existing potting soil that's you know around a potting mix, and then shake all the existing stuff off of it. Get some new potting mix, and then repot it and see what happens. Okay, I'll try it. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, other things that are uh, not related to anything that we've been talking about necessarily, but avoid transplanting anything that blooms this time of year, late bloomers. So whether they're chrysanthemums, Japanese anemones, the, some of the coneflowers, some of the black-eyed Susans and things like that. Late-blooming plant materials do not transplant this time of year. This is a great time to, to divide or to transplant spring bloomers or early summer bloomers. So just make sure that you get the soil prepared, you get it in the right location, because that's really important. A lot of times people will move stuff to a new location, and it's not going to be the best thing for the plant material. If you can find them, which I said I couldn't, I haven't been able to, uh, pansies. You can enjoy them all the way through the fall and sometimes way into the wintertime. And what I do is I usually do them, I put them in window boxes, and I put the window boxes like in the kitchen window and stuff so they're protected by the house. And consequently, we get uh, you know some flowers on them all the way Sometimes almost all the way through the entire winter time, so that's really important. If you do get uh, spring flowering bulbs, if you have them ordered, and you're not, uh, you got them and they arrive, or you've bought them in a store or something, don't plant them yet. You've got to wait till the ground cools, and that means like way into October and into November. So hold on to all those spring flowering bulbs. It's a great time of year for planting trees and shrubs because, as I've said before, the ground is warm. That encourages root system growth. And then consequently, root system growth is what the plant material needs. And the nice thing about fall planting is the plant material gets established and then they get to go to sleep for wintertime. In the springtime, let's say they do get established, but then they're facing our summertime and summer, like this year, has been spring was spectacular. Now, summer has been a, bit, a little bit brutal for some of the plant materials. So just keep that in mind. And uh, you can take cuttings for, uh, from all kinds of things, like the lady called about the wandering Jews, geraniums, coleus, begonias, and things like that. And then you can bring them inside for the wintertime. So anyway, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and let's head into Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. How are you? Very good. Hey, um, love your show. Uh, always look forward to listening to you. Hey, I've got a, a few things. That, uh, that gentleman that called in about the, the nuts hedge, mm-hmm. nutscrat, 
Um, there's a product out there. It's a Terp herbicide Q4 plus um, that does a really, really good job on, on that. Kills it pretty much on the first shot. Um, so if he was interested in looking that up, it might help him out. I have a question for you on crabgrass. So I actually, I just sprayed this stuff on the crabgrass and it will kill it. But I did it last year. It did the same thing, and it, it came back uh, again this year. Do you have any suggestions on maybe what I did wrong or what I could do? Basically, crabgrass is an annual grass. So in other words, it grows only one year, and there, during that year it grows, produces seed. So when you kill it, that's fine, but it's already dropped seed, so then that seed is going to germinate the following year. So that's what the pre-emergence are all about. Okay. Well, I, I put the pre-emergent down there. Um, I usually do it right when the forsythias are coming up every, you know, every spring, and it still keeps coming back. Well, I mean, that's you're doing everything you could possibly get to do. Okay. I mean, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, the other question that I have is: Did you just say that you can uh, you can transplant your uh, irises now? Yeah, you can do it as long as you get it done pretty quickly. Anything that's spring blooming, which an iris is. This is the time of year to do it and get it done. Fall bloomers, don't transplant them, don't divide them, don't do anything to them at all this late. Okay. All right. Well, and one last thing, that, that tree company timber line that you, that you uh, have, have talked about on the show, right. um, they're coming out and doing some work for me, and they've been very good and timely on everything. Um, so... They're a good company, and I appreciate you recommending that. Well, or putting that out for us to uh, to contact them. Well, great. Okay. Well, uh, sounds perfect. Thanks, Tom. Okay, Mike. See you later. Bye bye. Okay. And now let's head to Sandra's. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Mike. Hi. I just have two quick questions. Um, when do, I've, I've got a wagiga, uh, three of them. When do I prune those back? Is it too late to do that? Yeah, because they're spring blooming, basically. So if you prune yeah. them now, then you're going to be cutting off the flowers for next year. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't do it. When, when should I do that, actually? Right after they finish flowering. Okay. And what about the uh, purple leaf uh, cherry? No, the, yeah, the purple and cherry cherry. Yeah. So it's the same thing if you're talking about pruning. If you like the flowers, then you prune right after they flower. Oh, you don't do it now? No, because, again, they're spring flowering, then you're cutting off the flower buds. It's not saying you're going to eliminate all the flowers, but you're going to eliminate a lot of them if you do the pruning this time of year. Oh, yeah, and do that at the same time right after they bloom? Right, exactly. Okay, Carol, thank you. I love your show. Sure, well, thank you. And now let's head over to Jane Jard. Hi, Jane. Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. I sure. love the show. I have a very large pine tree. I'm not sure of the variety, but it's it's very large, probably about 40 feet tall. And uh, I want to take off the lower branches. They're hanging kind of, kind of to the ground and causing the grass to die off up. Uh, when would you suggest would be the best time to do that? For any of the prune or for any of the pines or conifers or things like that, winter is a good time to do it. Now, I will tell you, yes, you might you know help the grass underneath it, 
but also realize the tree root system is probably going to be more problematic or equally as problematic for the inability of your grass to survive and do well underneath them. Okay. So okay. just because you limb them up and let more sunlight in there and everything else is not going to necessarily solve the problem. Okay. Okay. But uh, winter would be the best time to r- remove those little branches. Yeah, you can certainly do that. And if you're going to cut them back, if they're long branches, cut them back in sections. So in other words, you don't want to just cut it, let's say, at the trunk or the next big major branch it's growing out of because you don't want to tear the bark. So the okay. final cut, you just leave about a quarter inch or a half inch stub at the at the longest. Okay, okay. So I could take maybe... Um, three or four levels of those uh, off, and it wouldn't hurt the tree then. No, it wouldn't. Okay. Because generally they grow in the top, a lot of times turns out wider than the bottom just because of the natural growth. All right. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And soil testing for anybody, regardless of what kind of soil or what kind of plant material you're growing, get your soil tested. And what should you have? Why should you have your soil tested? Well, soil conditions have a big impact on plant health. Also, pH and nutrient levels can be changed over time. So you think everything is good, or you've been using the same fertilizer over and over and over and over again on your lawn, and what could happen is if those last two numbers on your fertilizer are kind of high, in other words, of phosphorus and potassium, that can be detrimental to your lawn. So a soil test would indicate you got to stop using that fertilizer because you've got more than enough, you got way over too much phosphorus and potassium there. And also, also it's going to tell you which nutrients are missing. So over-fertilizing, under-fertilizing, that's what a soil test does. And again, there's you can drop off your soil test samples in Kirkwood on East Monroe, and in the city, you can drop them off at Brightside St. Louis, which is on Shenandoah down by the Botanical Garden, and then Gateway Greening, which is on Washington Avenue. So those are drop-off points for soil samples. You don't know how to do a soil sample? Well, go to the University of Missouri Extension Service, and that will tell you exactly how to do a soil sample. How much does it cost? It's going to cost you $25. But $25 in relationship to the amount of money that you might be spending or wasting could be a great savings for you overall and have your, you know, and actually get us a, a nice healthy lawn as a result of, or not, you just don't take a soil sample or soil test, have a soil test done for lawn areas, for garden spaces and everything else. It's going to indicate that maybe you've been doing something that's great. You've been doing it, but now you've got to stop doing that and maybe change and go a different direction, whether you know, it's soil you know, improvements or whatever you're doing with fertilizer or any of that kind of stuff. So just keep that in mind. It's really, really important. So some quick ones. Uh, just if you're doing a lawn soils test, take it from several different locations in your lawn. Just don't dig. A, you're going to end up with about a Ziploc bag full of soil. That's about how much they're going to need to be able to do a good soil test. But you want to take it from like an ice cream scoop full at, let's say, six or seven different locations in your yard to get the best results. So anyway, get the soil test done. It makes a huge difference. Mike Miller, KMY's Garden Hotline. See you next week.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune into the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.